this is Dr. Patrick Porter, and welcome back to the BrainTap Business Journal podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, someone who is in the field that most people would think, like I did back about five years ago, what does optometry have to do with the brain and all of that? But now, there's a whole new world out there, and we have with us an expert here. We have Dr. Charles here. So, Dr. Charles, tell us a little bit about what got you into this neurodevelopment from being an ophthalmologist to what you're doing now, so that people know the background. Well, it's kind of interesting my story, my backstory um, is I had a lot of visual processing problems when I was a kid, but I didn't know it. Um, uh, and somehow over my college years, I, I started becoming more and more nearsighted and, um, and, and started going to the eye doctor more frequently. And I said, gosh, you know, that's kind of a cool job. I think I'd like to do that. And ended up going to optometry school in uh, Memphis in, in the uh, mid eighties. And um, uh, when I was in my first year uh, class for uh, you know when we're learning how to do all the tests one of my, my lab partner came up to me and says something's wrong with your eyes and I said oh that's that's interesting um, so the, the professor called the professor over and the professor called, uh, called me up and said you're gonna go to the uh, vision therapy clinic today and I said what's the vision therapy clinic uh, I had no idea that that this this even existed so I ended up going down to vision therapy and, and was treated down there. And so I got interested in uh, vision and development and what causes problems for kids who are having difficulties in school that may not be eyesight related. It could be they have 20-20 vision or they could be nearsighted, but they could be seeing 20-20. But there were obviously other factors that were involved in, in the visual process um, that, that impacted the ability to learn. So that's what, how I became interested in it uh, way back when. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about what is neurodevelopmental optometry so that the listeners out there can kind of understand how this kind of folds into brain tap and how we all work together. Well, you know, obviously we, we know our eyesight is really the whole, the, the way I look at the eyeballs is the eyes are really an extension of the brain. Okay. They're, they're an input device. Um, but it's the, also the only sensory organ that also has a motor component. In other words, you, you can move your eye side to side, up and down, you converge, you diverge. So there's a motor component, but there's also the sensory component. It's taking the image and going to the brain and dealing with the image. What you find out is that what most people talk about when they talk about vision, they talk about what goes back to the visual cortex in the back of the brain, okay, uh, for processing. I, what is it? But the, but the vision system has to answer more than what is it. It has to answer where is it. It also has to answer where am I, and ultimately it has to answer how is it. So it's those factors that be, that really are what neurodevelopmental optometry focuses on. Is sure we want to get them to what is it, but we want to answer the, the where is it and where am I just as well, so we can develop how am I. And so that's kind of how I like to explain it. So. Where, knowing where I am in space from a visual standpoint is becomes an important factor in how we go about treating people with vision deficits. And I know that uh, one of the big questions that, that we asked and that, that is a big part of this conversation today is why haven't more people heard about this? I mean, I've been to uh, my, when I go to my optometrist here, I've never heard of them working on the brain. And I mean, you have this whole group. I mean, I've been to like four conferences now. There's literally hundreds of doctors around the country. Uh, and most of our doctors that are either MDs or chiropractors, they're doing things with the eyes, but they don't even realize that there are actually 
actual quote eye doctors doing doing things with the brain. So uh, tell us why we haven't heard about this. What's the why is it so like undercover? Let's say. Well, first of all, as, as for the percentage of all optometrists in practice, it's still a pretty small percentage. Maybe five percent of of optometrists do uh, vision rehab, vision therapy. Um, so, so that is that's part of the reason. And the other part of the reason is a hundred percent of MDs don't do vision therapy and vision rehab. Okay, so you're dealing with when you add the two together, it, it makes up for a very small segment of what we do. However, we are growing rapidly because we're seeing more and more vision processing problems because of, I hate to say, it, computers, tablets. Um, you know, uh, iPhones, things of that nature with all that near point stress. Um, and then now all this is coming into the schools and the school works all part of it. And so we're seeing this develop. The other area that has really evolved is really the area of traumatic brain injury and acquired brain injury because there's so much focus now on concussion. I work with four professional sports teams uh, on their, on their, uh, on the individuals, the athletes that, that develop concussions. And when they have concussions, they oftentimes, 90% of the time, 80 to 90% of the time, have visual processing issues as it relates to concussion. In fact, one of them, the first on the field test they do is just a simple eye movement test, okay? So concussion and vision become has become a big factor. And so it was an easy transition from under, if you start understanding the developmental aspects of vision, it was very easy to jump into understanding concussion, traumatic brain injury, and even stroke patients to see how you can help remediate those situations. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the elements in uh, neurodevelopmental uh, optometry. What is this like, whether it's pediatrics or brain injuries or sports vision? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go kind of go cover each each little area. There's, uh, there's a couple different areas of it. First of all, obviously pediatric and developmental. That's the child that may have strabismus, which is an eye turn. They may, they may have a lazy eye, uh, but then again, they may be just having difficulty reading in school and doing completing schoolwork. They may be getting headaches. They may have eye strain and eye fatigue. Um, also the child that is really having a hard time um, even playing sports. Uh, and just because their, their athletic skill is not there because the vision system is not feeding the, the, the motor system very well. I always tell people vision drives motor. So if vision drives motor, if, you, if the vision system is not operating efficiently, then the motor system is not going to operate as efficiently as it can. Um, so, so that's the, the, the vision and the developmental aspects of it. Um, uh, then there's also um, traumatic and acquired brain injury. So this is where you're talking about the concussion patients, the stroke patients, the, um, the other type of neurological disorders. And, and obviously today we, we can also talk about some of the age-related things, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And then there's things like multiple sclerosis that all have visual deficits that can be associated with it. And those are patients we can certainly work with. Um, uh, I deal with sometimes with genetic disorders, you know, people with different genetic disorders. So the, the, that kind of fulfills that, that area of the traumatic brain injury. And then um, the third area is, is sports vision. And sports vision is um, really an intriguing area because, and it was probably the area I was most interested in when I came out of school, helping athletes perform at a higher level. Because, you know, how many times have you heard 
boy, that player really saw the ball. They saw the hole they were running through. Um, and and some, this person has really good vision. But yet, the funny thing is, they don't train it. Okay, they do great from the neck down, but nothing from the neck up. And so, what we can do is we can work on enhancing these vision skills. The interesting thing about it is, no matter whether we're working with a child, an adult who's had a brain injury, or an athlete we're trying who are trying to enhance their skills, we're really still all working on the same skills, just at different levels. So, none of these are very, you know, very, very different. And there's a new area even in, in therapy that we're doing we're doing now, and that is um, myopia control or myopia management is probably a better term for it because we the, the myopia is developing and my what I mean by myopia by the way is nearsightedness it is really uh, escalating um, to be a, a major health threat realistically long term and what we're seeing is um, you know uh, the rate of myopia in 2020, I think there's supposed to be 2.5 billion myopes in the year 2020. And by 2050, it's estimated it'll be, uh, it'll be um, uh, 5 billion myopes. So it's going to double between 2020 and 2050. So that begs to answer why. And the answer to the question of why is, once again, all this near point work. If you think about it, go back 200 years of history when we were farmers and hunters, mostly, we didn't do a lot of reading. Now we're, we're, we're really trading out distance at tasks to near task, and that near task is creating stresses on a system we haven't evolved to deal with yet, if you want to think of it that way. So we're having to do that. And then, then there's also the, I should add, there's also the neuropsychological aspect of the whole thing, which is really interesting, because how does these difficulties in school create anxiety and stress? Um, on, on the individual, how does it uh, how does it feed some other um, uh, psychological elements that that are really um, we, so, so we have to be concerned with that too. We can't just say let's fix the eyes, let's get the eyes more efficient. But how is that going to reduce the that the, the the stresses on the individual um, uh, a, a, as a patient? And how can we how can we make them improve in that? How can we help? And then with kids, how do you improve their self esteem? Okay. Give, give them confidence. If you give them confidence, their self-esteem will typically improve. Yeah. So there's also a concept that, uh, of neuroinflammation. Inflammation is big everywhere. In fact, in the medical curriculum, they're now saying we don't have all these diseases. We have inflammation. So tell us how the how does optometry play into that role? Well, certainly, you know, you have. Um, uh, it's been shown that you know patients, for instance, on the autism spectrum, have higher levels of neuroinflammation. And if you go back down, way down to the genetic side of it, if you look at the genetics and, and you do a genetic profile on them, you'll find out that um, many of their markers for inflammation are going to be are going to be they'll be what they call homozygous or heterozygous. And what that means is is that they they they, they, they have a much higher risk of um, of exposing those those genes. Um, and, and having higher levels of inflammation. In other words, they may turn on inflammation much more rapidly than the general population. And that's not only in the brain, but through the whole entire body. It's intercellular, if you will. And when you get inflammation, we have to have, have a discussion of what is, that, what is the role of inflammation on, on the overall illness? And so one of the, some of the things we talk about in that case is, okay, we're gonna give you these visual skills and improve these visual skills, but what other things can we do? Um, 
so I might talk to a patient about their diet. I might talk to the patient about um, doing things to decrease stress, exercise, things of that nature that will certainly be um, anti-inflammatory, if you will. What foods to eat? I mean, that's really, really important to get them eating in the right way. Um, getting off some, some, some of these high carb diets and going more to a low carb diet, eating good fats instead of bad fats. Those are some of the things that I will have a discussion with my patients about, uh, even though that doesn't seem like optometry. <laughs> uh, it's really a, it's really a big part of treating the whole patient instead of pair of eyeballs. Right. So here we're talking with the expert with the eyes and, and how the brain functions that area, Dr. Charles Zabalski. And so we can learn a lot from you, obviously. Uh, I know that a lot of our doctors are using like right eye and different things are looking at the eye movements and they're, they're using them in a lot of neuro clinics. Uh, but can you kind of expand on what kind of therapies when somebody comes in and they have one of these issues? Uh, of course, most of our doctors are more in working in just the areas you were talking about, whether it be autism or concussion care, uh, things of that nature. But what kind of therapy can someone expect with a with an optometrist? Well, I'll, I'll break it into two parts here. Obviously, you know, from one perspective, um, we, we use a tool like Right Eye, which is a great tool um, that does eye tracking. Okay. And we can, it, it, it's an objective measurement of eye tracking. And we can do it whether they're reading a paragraph to us or we can make you can do it if they're just doing um, just simple tracking tasks, like tracking a dot going across a computer screen or doing it in a circle. So it's a great tool to have. We have a lot of tools like that. Um, we have, we, we have um, for, for my athletes, we use something, something called the Synaptic Sensory Station, where we touch, it's a light board, but it, it also compares you to athletes of all different skill levels. So um, it's, it's really a cool device. We do balance, I do balance testing on almost all my patients, interesting enough. I'll actually measure their balance, and then I might put some lenses on and remeasure their balance, special therapy lenses that we use to, to remeasure their balance. So from a testing perspective, we can do a lot of different things like that, uh, that, that can be really, really beneficial and help us out a lot. Um, but on a treatment side, uh, well, we, there's really two types of therapies we, we, we do. And one I call passive therapy, and one I call active therapies. Passive therapies are might be lenses and prisms and tints and occlusions. But the goal of it is not to correct the nearsightedness or farsightedness, although we, we may do that as well. But instead, what we're trying to do is create a therapeutic change. And the difference is a regular pair of glasses is corrective. If you're nearsighted, that means your eyeball's too long. We move the image of the light back onto the retina and we correct nearsightedness. That's correcting for a structural abnormality, if you will. But when we're using a therapeutic lens or a therapeutic occlusion or something of that nature, we're trying to actually change the brain. And that's the difference. We're not changing something structural. We're changing the brain. We're creating new neural connections, if you will, so that the eye and the brain can, can intersect and, and, and communicate better. And, and so, so we might do this pa some passive therapies to do that. Um, the second type of therapy is active therapy, and that's where you actually come in and work with one of our therapists in our office, and we work on um, uh, enhancing vision skills. So we might do tracking activities, we might do convergence activities, we might do vis some visual spatial activities, um, we'll do different things related to uh, hand-eye coordination, hand-eye balance. Um, 
balance activity. So we're, we're really kind of work the gamut of redeveloping the skill. In fact, usually when I talk about therapy, I call, I call it the three hours of therapy. And the first one is rewiring. That's the first thing you have to do. And that's kind of what we do with lenses and prisms and tints. The second is re-education. That's breaking the old bad habits and developing the new good habits. And then the last is retention. Because everything you do, if you change the brain, you're going to change. Uh, you're going to you're going to create a, a situation where they retain those skills forever. Okay. If you if you work on muscles, okay, you're you're. It's like I, I see a lot of a lot of therapists out there, and they'll they'll just do simple eye movements, and they'll do convergence activities, and they say they're done, and the patient actually gets better. But how much better is that? The problem is is that if you went to the gym and worked out, okay, and you worked out for six months. And you got really buff, and and your body looked good. And then you sat on a couch for six months. What what happened? Okay, you you got flabby again. But if you worked out and you got the endorphins going, you changed your brain chemistry, and you wanted to keep working out, what's going to happen? You're going to stay buff. Okay, same thing here. If we change the brain, we change the brain's function. What ends up happening is that the changes we make to the vision system are permanent. Okay, and that's what that's what's special about doing. Both passive and active therapy is we're doing it for permanence, so you won't need to do that therapy again. We want to create that that new those new neural connections, if you will. Here we are talking to Dr. Charles, who's an expert at vision therapy. He's also working with several professional teams in the Dallas area. You're also the clinical director for the Special Olympics Opening Eye Program. So tell us the difference between working with these elite athletes and then you're working with. Whether it be Special Olympics or the neighbor down the road who who has a head trauma, what's the what's the biggest difference you see? And can you share a few stories? Uh, of course, not names, but stories about what you've seen happen that that are going on. Oh yeah, certainly. Um, you know, certainly with uh, uh, each each case is obviously a different one. But you know, um, athletes you know athletes are are you know the they're highly tuned and, and they're tuned into their body in, in a very, very big way. And, um, but they still know, know they need these skills and we still try to develop the skills. But we're, what we're doing is when we work with a child, let's say their, their skills levels are pretty low, okay? And, and what we wanna do is take them to, to normal skill level. When we work with a person who had a brain injury, that's a person who had normal skill originally, perhaps, but now they're subnormal and we have to take them back to normal. With an athlete, oftentimes you're taking someone with normal skill and you're making it elite level. So what you're doing is amping up the same activities, you're ramping those skills up and, and really making it harder and harder and adding different cognitive elements to it so that it really challenges them um, and, and increases their skill level. So, um, a lot of the activities, as I say, may remain the same, just with different at different levels. Uh, but we're working we're, we're working with all three of those types of communities to try to enhance the skills. So a couple stories, um, you know, uh, I love telling stories about kids on the autism spectrum because some of the some of those are just some of my favorites because the you know these these are kids that are have you know definitely difficult time uh, in and working around their environment. And I've worked with autistic kids for 25 years now, believe it or not, uh, and adults for that matter. Um, but I think really what happens, it's funny how autistic kids become autistic adults sometimes. Uh, but, you know, well, what, what happens is, you know, you have these kids. Uh, one of my first um, times I worked with an autistic kid, um, 
it goes back about that 25 years ago. And I remember um, he, he came in and he, he walked in the office and he's kind of running, all, you know, moving all over the place. Didn't really know where he was in space. You know, we asked him to sit down in the chair. He walked around the room. He, he, he was nonverbal. And, um, you know, this is kind of, I, I, I did his evaluation and I said, okay, we're going to try some passive therapy with him, some, some lens therapies with him and see what happens. But I didn't know what was going to happen at that point because I was pretty new to the autism community at that point. Um, so we put him in lenses, uh, uh, therapy lenses. We came back a month later, he had him come back a month later and he came in and he walked right to the chair, sat down and it's like, what did I just see? <laughs> and the mother just cried to me for the next 30 minutes, how it changed his life. Um, and just how he was much more organized and, and he, you know, he was even starting to say a few words. Um, so something like that can be very impactful. And then what I'll do is I'll, for the brain injury one, I'll kind of combine a story with a professional athlete because it's kind of a fun, fun story. So I had a uh, professional hockey player that was referred to me last year um, who had come in. Uh, he had just gotten, he had gotten a concussion a few weeks prior. Uh, the neuropsychologist was going to release him back to play, but he said, you know, his eye movements look a little funky. Why don't you take a look at him before we release him back? Um, it was actually ended up being a very good call on his part um, to do that um, because I brought him into the office and I tested him um, and uh, saw that his, we did a right eye on him and his right eye was just terrible. And we did a balance test and it was just terrible. And, um, and, and, it was interesting because I had done a preseason screening on the team. So I had his preseason results on the right eye. Mm -hmm. So it was really kind of a cool thing to see where he was and where he is now. And then we did um, about 10 sessions of therapy on him. Um, and he, he ended up, uh, by the end of the 10th session, he was scored above his baseline recording. So in other words, his vision skill had exceeded where he had started at the beginning of the season. But uh, obviously we didn't let him back onto the, on, onto the ice to play when we first saw him we said hey let's we need to hold him out for a couple more weeks let's work with him a little bit and improve those skills and then I think he'll be ready to get back on the ice and and certainly he was so that was really kind of a nice story that looks at a concussion patient but who happened to be a professional athlete so I kind of combine those two for you yeah that's great that's perfect so we have we have two different groups that listen to this podcast of course we have our doctors groups uh, that are out there and they're going to be learning from this and then we have just the end user you know the person that will even though this is really for doctors but they do listen they you know they tune in and find out what's going on with brain tap but how can somebody learn uh, a doctor out there that wants to learn more about this because i've been to your sports concussion symposium uh up in park city that was an exciting time i know this year you're doing it in san diego you do the nora event you're doing an event called iafner tell us a little bit about where they can learn and how they can connect with you so that if they want to be a part of these different groups and learn this technology because it's a it's even if you think you know everything when you go to these events there's so much knowledge out there and it's just almost like an avalanche of information now because so many people are jumping on board so tell us a little bit about that well first of all the information is coming very rapidly it's changing every day i mean i read articles virtually every single morning and uh, this, with new things and new new treatments and new concepts so that's really the the, the, the real excitement now is that we're, we're seeing so much change and we're seeing so many new 
tools and devices coming out that, that help us with diagnosis and treatment. So that's the first thing I'll say. Um, I'll start off with IAFNR only because th their meeting is coming up this week. Um, and it's International Functional Neurosciences and Rehabilitation Meeting. Um, it's being held in uh, Henderson, uh, Nevada, over near Las Vegas. Um, and it, it's the primarily functional neurologists, uh, which are chiropractic neurologists. Um, and, but there's also a neurodevelopmental optometrist there, as I'll be I'll be lecturing there on Friday, um, and uh, we all and uh, myself and the, also Deanne Fitzgerald, who I know is a brain tap user as well, um, sh she'll be lecturing with me and Kathy Stern out of out of Boston. We're all lecturing at the functional neurology meeting, interesting enough. <laughs> but there's there's also PhDs there, there's MDs there, there's OTs, PTs. So a wide variety of different, uh, they're a very interdisciplinary organization. I tend to kind of hang out with the interdisciplinary organization. I, I, I know I don't have all the answers and I know I have to, re I freely um, refer and get referrals from a lot of different fields. So to me, the interdisciplinary organization is where it's at. The problem is a lot of times with physicians and doctors of different types, even optometrists, the problem is that they, they, they they, they're very poor referrers because they don't <laughs> they don't know where to go with things. Um, and I really want to foster the relationship between different practice specialties and open up that line of communication so we do a better job. Um, but that's the IAFNR meeting. Um, it's a wonderful meeting. Um, I think their website is iafnr.org, I-A-F-N-R.org. Um, that's how you find out more information about that organization. Um, uh, the, the, the meeting coming up in February of, um, of 2020 is going to be the International Sports Vision Association. Um, uh, this is one's near and dear to my heart simply because I was one of the founders of the organization. Uh, it's, we're getting ready to have our fourth annual meeting. Um, and uh, what we, what we historically going back there was there was a sports vision organization back in the 90s 80s and 90s that was out there and and, and um, but to the problem in the sports vision field was that was that um, there was very little new there's very little research um, going on uh, we knew we, we knew inherently that we can improve people's performance but there was very little going on and so keeping an organization together was was difficult at the time but really in the last 10 years what's happened is all these new tools have come out and all, all, all the awareness of concussion and all this other stuff has changed the game so about five years ago i was sitting down with some friends and we were having a discussion about this and we said you know we need to start an organization and so we started that the the international sports vision association at that point in time we're and we've doubled in size every year that we've done the meeting which is really nice i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens this year um and it's for the it's really for athletic trainers it's for ot's and pt's and chiropractors and optometrists who are interested in learning about the vision aspects of sports that's really what that organization is all about um, and, I, and I'm real excited that um, it looks like we, we have a great group. We're, what we're doing this year is we're actually doing, the first day we're doing workshops. So the first day we're gonna have a workshop for um, beginners, people just wanna getting into the field. And then we have a, a more advanced workshop going on simultaneously for those who are experienced in working with athletes. Um, and then we go into our general conference uh, day two and day three, and we have some speakers from all we have an athletic trainer, we have a physician, we have a, 
um, someone who, uh, you know, someone who works for one of the baseball teams coming out. Uh, we have a several optometrists speaking. So it's going to be a really outstanding meeting. Um, and the, organ- the way you find out information about that is the website is uh, sportsvision.pro. It's not a .com, it's sportsvision.pro. One, uh, so, so that would be a, a good way to locate information about that. Um, the third organization you mentioned is NORA, Neurooptometric Rehabilitation Association. Those are primarily um, those who are working with vision deficits related to a traumatic and acquired brain injury. Um, that organization, that meeting was last month um, in um, Scottsdale. It'll be next year in September in, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, and, uh, and I'm very involved in that organization as well. Um, and certainly uh, it, it's an outstanding organization. Once again, at our meetings, we have OTs, PTs, speech. We have um, neuropsychs. We have optometry, obviously, is probably the, 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 the largest concentration. Uh, we have chiropractors. So we have, once again, a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary meeting where we talk about how, how can we work together um, to, to help our patients improve. Um, and that website is noravisionrehab.org, N-O-R-A vision, V-I-S-I-O-N, rehab, R-E-H-A-B.org. Um, and you can find inf- a lot of information about that. There's also a lot of information. We've really done a good job on their website with p- patient information. So you can learn more about if you have a family member or a friend who's had a traumatic or acquired brain injury, there's some great information on that website and information sheets on that website where you can download uh, and get and have that information. So th- those are the organizations that um, I've been most involved with. There's also the American Optometric Association. They have um, they have a division rehabilitation section of the sports uh, of, of that organization. They have some great information as well. There's another organization called College of Optometry and Vision Development. They're primarily working with the kid, more of the pediatric, but they go they cross into brain injury too. So and that's that organization is covd.org. College of Optometry and Vision Development. I, they offer fellowship for, for optometrists to, who have interest in that field. I've earned my fellowship through the through through that organization as well. Um, they do their meetings around April, May of every year. Um, this year, I think it's going to be in Toronto. So lots of good information out there. There's a lot of uh, these organizations that are really doing a great job in getting getting the word out. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, I, I would. Those are the sources I would go to for a lot of that information. That's great. They can also learn more about you at neurovisionassociates.com. Uh, that's your that's your website, right, for your company and what you're doing. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So neurovisionassociates.com. Uh, we have three offices in the Dallas area. We have our main offices in Plano, Texas. We have an office in South Lake, Texas, which is right near uh, DFW Airport. And we also have one in Rockwall, Texas. So um, all in the Dallas suburban area, if you will. Um, but you know, uh, certainly we're glad to answer questions, but even if you, you need to have a situation where you, Hey, um, I live here and I need to find somebody, um, uh, you know, I can kind of, we, we can certainly help direct you in one way or shape or form to one of the websites and, and you should be able to find someone close and nearby you that, that does this. Um, as I mentioned before, the attendance in all these organizations is growing every year. Um, so there's more and more interest in this, these areas. So I think you're going to see a, a lot more, a lot more in the future on this. Yeah. So if your doctor's not involved with with vision therapy and you want them to be, 
pass along this podcast to them. Let's get them involved. Let's start working on the brain. We all have one direction we're going. We're all getting better looking, more intelligent with age, and we need that brain to go with us. So we need all of that going on. You can follow uh, Dr. Charles and his group also on uh, LinkedIn. You can look for him there. Uh, he also has an Instagram account, uh, Neurovision Associates TX, which we'll put all these social links into the podcast. If you're if you're listening to this, you're going, gosh, I can't write all these things down because uh, you did a good job giving some websites. We'll have our team pull those out of the podcast, put them down below so people can learn about it. Uh, BrainTap is usually at most of these with our booth and sharing. And so the the last question for today, and I'm, I appreciate you taking time to, to be with us today and, and sharing all of this knowledge, but tell us a little bit about how neurodevelopment optometry and BrainTap kind of work together because people might be also going, well, how does this connection happen? And and I know it was a shock to me when I met Dr. Deanne the first time, because I didn't even know it was a connection until she started telling me and, and Jonette, who we both know, and different people like that are out there actually experimenting with our technology. So tell us a little bit about that from your perspective. Well, you know, I, you know, uh, Jonette had mentioned it, uh, told me about BrainTap um, about a year and a half ago. And I said, oh, we should have them come out to our meeting so we can, um, uh, so we, we can all learn more about it. Um, you know, obviously when you change the brain, and I, I mentioned like kids and adults before when, when they have increased stress levels that, um, and these brain injury patients also, they have difficulty sleeping. Okay. They have, with, they have difficulty with anxiety. They have all these other symptoms that you're dealing with and they have neuroinflammation. Okay. So with all these additional things going on, we have to t find a way to quiet the brain, if you will. Okay. And brain taps an excellent tool to quiet the brain. That's kind of how I, how I explain it to patients. We've got to quiet things down. Even for the athlete, there's, there's actually a concept in, in working with athletes called the quiet eye. Okay. But if you have a quiet eye, in order to have a quiet eye, you have to have a quiet brain. Okay. So getting that, that system to, to, to relax and, and, and so you can refocus your energies, I think is really where brain tap comes in. So I'm sitting here in my, in my room where I have brain tap in my office and I have it set up in a nice, you know, pretty quiet area, except there's construction next door, unfortunately. So, <laughs> you know, that happens, but nonetheless, we try to put them in a nice quiet area of the office and and we let them go run through a session of it. We may, we may, I may run heart rate variability on them before and then heart rate variability on them after just to show them the difference in how their system changes um, just with using something like BrainTap. So as I said, it goes down to the concept of when, we, when you start doing what we do in neurodevelopmental optometry, you're, treating, you're, you're not only treating a pair of eyeballs, you're treating the brain and you're treating the rest of the body and you're treating a person at the end of the day. So you make that person improve, guess what happens? Their vision will improve too. Yeah, well, I thought it was very interesting when we met in Scottsdale, which is always great to meet you at these events. I was at the Nora event and your son came up and said you had, you had a break in and he was all concerned about the brain tap. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty interesting, you know, that that was the tool he really wanted to know about. So, I mean, it, it's, it's great to know that uh, staff's using it as well, which is really nice. I mean, we, we encourage all the doctors out there to get their staff on it. It's in their offices. They might as well start using it and, and getting those wellness breaks. Oh, absolutely. I think it's been really good. Yeah, it was pretty funny. We, we unfortunately got broken into uh, uh, one night uh, a few weeks ago. Well, it was probably two months ago now. And um, it, we, we, 
you know, I said, so I called my son on the phone and I said, you know, he says, well, I have, I have two things in there that are important to me, my iPad <laughs> and my brain tap. <laughs> so he says, as long as those two things are not gone, I'm, I'm happy. I said, no, they're, they're, they're there. So he was very happy about that. So it was a pretty funny story. But, um, but it, it was, I know, of course, he wanted to meet the voice behind brain tap, which so he got to meet you. So that was a yeah. highlight for him. Yeah, that was great. It's always good to meet people out there using it. So we're we're about to wrap up here, but can you think of anything else you can leave with our doctors or our therapists that are out there working with the brain and, and how vision can connect them or any words of wisdom you can impart before we end the call? Truthfully, all I have to say is, you know, um, you know, I think it's really important to understand that many different disciplines that can help our patients today. And even if we have biases, we've been taught something in medical school, we've been taught something in, in chiropractic, we need each other. I think that's that's the thing I'm, I always try to impart when I talk to a multidisciplinary audience is to say, we do need each other. If you don't know what a developmental optometrist and you, and you want to learn more, find out more. Contact someone locally and talk to them. Um, that's how I met all these people in functional neurology and chiropractic world and, and MDs. And, and I get refer 95% of my practice is referral, okay? I get referrals from a lot of people, but I refer back just as easily. So it's really important that we start utilizing each other for the patient's benefit. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. We want to make the patient better. We want to improve them as a person. And we can do it together better than we could do it apart. So there you have it. Go ahead and listen to this again. Listen to some of the wisdom Dr. Charles imparting here. And if you have a child that has some developmental issues, it could be a vision issue. You know, if you've not looked into that, you know, this is one that might be overlooked. You might be going to your, uh, not not stop going to your MD or to your, uh, maybe your speech pathologist, but take a look at the eyes and what they're doing is there's so much to it. And those of you who know BrainTap, they, they know I've been told for, for 30 years now, why are we doing anything with the eyes, with the lights? And I, then now neuroscience is caught up so it can explain everything that's going on, which is really good. Uh, so I appreciate you being here. I look forward to hearing you speak again when I'm at the conference in San Diego. It'll be very interesting, I'm sure, in the new developments that are happening. So we're going to post everything in the in the show notes. So uh, Dr. Charles, we'll let you get back to your patients and, and helping people have better brains out there through vision therapy. Uh, so again, thank you for being on the call with us today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Porter. It was really a pleasure and thank you for inviting me. Okay, so those out there, please share this with everyone you know that has eyeballs because they need to learn about this. They need to learn about vision therapy, pass it on. Let's get more doctors involved with this because one thing, as I said earlier, we all have a brain. We all want to keep our brain optimized. We don't have to be a professional athlete to improve our vision. We're all kind of athletes at will. I mean, even going to the grocery store, picking up things and, and driving and those things. So let's do some more research. Let's find out. Go to his website, neurovisionassociates.com. Check him out on social media. Find out what's going on in the world of optometry that could affect you and the health of your loved ones. And again, listen next week for the next Business Journal podcast where we're bringing to you tips and tricks for your practice that can help you to learn more, develop more, have a more profitable practice and a, a better you. So look forward to hearing hearing about your results on braintap.com and tune in next week for more. Thank you.